Court is now in session with your host, Peter Briggs. Welcome to the Lawyers and Lay People podcast, a conversation-based podcast featuring interviews with some of Georgia's top lawyers, where we, in an easy-to-understand way, answer the questions on the minds of you, the layperson. In this podcast, we talk to specialists in a particular field of law to hear directly from them as to what clients typically ask them and what they should be asking. I'm your host, Peter Bricks. I graduated law school in 2006 from Georgia State University here in Atlanta, and I've been practicing as a lawyer for almost 17 years. I'm a personal injury and bankruptcy attorney, as well as a registered mediator. I'm excited to be joined by our guest today, Alex Simonofsky. Alex received his college degree in mathematics, graduating cum laude from the University of Georgia in 1992. He received his legal training at the University of Georgia School of Law, graduating in 1995 with honors. Mr. Simonofsky has devoted his entire legal career to helping Georgia's injury victims and Georgia consumers. He's a member of the Georgia Trial Lawyers Association and the American Bar Association and the National Association of Consumer Advocates. Mr. Simonofsky is the former chairman and former vice chairman of the State Bar of Georgia's Consumer Law Section. Alex can be reached at his website, filelemonlaw.com. Welcome to the uh, podcast, Alex. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start off by telling our listeners what exactly you like about practicing lemon law? Well, I, I like the fact that I get to help consumers. You know, I don't represent huge conglomerates. I represent everyday people in in an issue that affects their everyday life in, 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 in the sense that, you know, obviously if you have a car that's not working, you can't go, you know, you can't go to work. You can't take your kids to school. I mean, it really has a major impact on people's lives. So I, I like the fact that I get to help people. Uh, and I like the fact that, uh, you know, I get to take on these big corporations who like to kind of try to get one over on the consumer all the time. Yeah. So, um, I understand you file these not only in Georgia, but in other States. Can you just quickly tell us exactly like how many jurisdictions you wind up doing this in and how is Georgia different than some, than the other States? You know, we do lemon law cases pretty much all over the country, um, not in every state. Um, we're here. We're based here in Atlanta. So the bulk of the practice is in Georgia. And the, the good part about that is that, that Georgia has one of the best lemon laws in the country. It, uh, it allows for the recovery of attorney's fees by, uh, by the consumer. So ultimately, it's a the representation is free to consumers. We don't charge any upfront fees or any out-of-pocket fees. We seek to recover all our fees from the manufacturer. That's a good, uh, it's one of the best uh, aspects of the Georgia lemon law. You know, most states lemon law, um, let's say, you know, you take a case and you get a buyback or a refund for a customer. Most states lemon laws have a mileage deduction aspect to it where, you know, you get to pay, you have to pay the manufacturer for the miles you put on it. It's reduced, that, that reduces your, um, your refund in Georgia, the mileage deduction is capped based on the mileage in the first repair attempt. So if you took your vehicle in and it had 5,000 miles on it, um, and it takes months for the case to complete. And then by the time the case is done, you have 50,000 miles on your vehicle. You only have to reimburse the 5,000 miles. That's really one of the the, the biggest parts of the Georgia lemon law is that it, it limits the mileage deduction, uh, for, uh, for a consumer who ends up giving their vehicle back. So you just drew some technicalities and it, mm-hmm. it just, it, 
leads me to my next question, which is I can only imagine you get so many calls by consumers who are convinced they have a case um, and, and they don't for whatever reason. So what is a prerequisite to having an actual good lemon law case? Okay. Well, that's, that's a great question. And we do get a lot of calls. Um, mainly we represent consumers with new vehicles, okay, that are under manufacturer's warranties who have had either an unreasonable number of repair attempts in Georgia, it's three or more, or an unreasonable amount of time or days in the shop. And in the state of Georgia, that's 30 calendar days, cumulative. So if a vehicle has more than three repairs or more than 30 days in the shop, then it meets the, the basic requirements for actually just making a claim. Right? Uh, see, there's no, not a guarantee that you're going to win, but that's kind of what we're looking for. We represent folks with new vehicles uh, that are under still under manufacturer's warranty that have had multiple repairs or an extensive you know, time in the shop. I mean, I've seen vehicles in the shop for six, seven months at a time, which is pretty egregious. And, and those cases obviously are fairly straightforward. Uh, some other ones, uh, maybe not. Now, is there a standard definition for whether a vehicle qualifies beyond that? Um, no, not, not, not really. Like all states have their own, you know, statutory requirements. You know, some states you have to be in the shop for four or more times within a certain time period. Um, and they're, they're all different in Georgia. It's, you need multiple repairs, three plus or 30 days within the first two years or 24,000 miles, right? That's how you meet the basic criteria. Um, other states is you got to be in the shop four times. Uh, within 18 months or 18,000 miles, it, 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 you know, I can, I can, I can rattle off all the different state lemon laws, but they're all different in, you know, but, but the basic criteria is you have to have multiple repair attempts or or excessive days out of service within, within fairly quick time period from the date of delivery of the vehicle. And what short, what sort of like official formal notice should a consumer be giving during that time and does that what, what happens i mean when, when people come to you have they usually given the notice or is that sort of what you usually, wind up doing usually people will just call me and they haven't done anything other than maybe talk to the dealership they may have called the manufacturers you know 800 customer service number um right which neither of those things trigger you know the procedural parts of the lemon law in Georgia. Um, once you have three repairs, you have to send certified note or 30 days out of service. You have to send certified notice to the manufacturer, giving them, and it's a little, I can get into the weeds with this, but it's either this, right? If you don't have 30 days out of service, but you have three repair attempts, you have to give the manufacturer a final repair. Attempt, okay. So after the third repair attempt, you have to send certified notice, giving them one more chance to fix it. All right. If you have more than 30 days in the shop, you don't have to give them a final repair. And then you can just send a different certified notice where you demand a refund or a replacement. Um, and then they have 20 days from receipt of the repurchase or replacement request to respond. Now, they don't have to respond. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But after the 20 day period is then when you can actually file for an arbitration hearing in Georgia, like I was saying, one of the best lemon laws in the country in Georgia, 
they have a state-sponsored arbitration program that's administered by the Attorney General's Office, Office of Consumer Protection. So we will file an application with the OCP, Office of Consumer Protection. They will assign a neutral arbitrator. And nowadays, obviously, everything is by hearings are by Zoom. Uh, don't have, even have to be in person. That's much, much more efficient and much lower cost and certainly much quicker than, you know, just regular civil litigation. Because, as you know, you know, you file a lawsuit, you get in front of a judge in about two years in arbitration process, you're looking at about four, four to six months process. So definitely much faster. So I want to turn a little bit to things I'd imagine consumers may do before they reach out to you. Let's how often does it come up that they just in good faith try to get the vehicle, they get frustrated with the dealership or whatnot, and they, they try to repair the vehicle themselves? How does that factor in? That, how often does that come up? That doesn't happen very often, usually because of the cost aspect of it. Let, let me, let's say you have, a, you have a bad engine in your whatever vehicle, you know. You're, you're, you know, if you want to get it fixed yourself, I mean, it's thousands and thousands of dollars to put a new, you know, either to take an engine out, re, you know, refurbish it or put a new engine in or transmission or like in major components. I think it really just becomes cost prohibitive for a consumer to just, especially if their vehicle is still under manufacturer's warranty and the manufacturer is obligated to attempt repairs, you know, at no cost. You know, it's very rare where I see somebody who say, well, I just spent $10,000 fixing this it happens you know occasionally but 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 not very often it's usually the folks then you know they get more and more frustrated with the dealer with the manufacturer they're the dealers and the manufacturers customer service is usually fairly lacking and then 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 they end up with me um and i can certainly part of what we do you know is we're in contact with the manufacturer right from the beginning where we can say hey General Motors or Ford or whoever, send an engineer, you know, to try to fix this vehicle. And then sometimes they will, and, you know, sometimes they won't. Sometimes the vehicle is just not repairable, which happens. And those cases then move fairly quickly through the process. Now, uh, what can be done if there's some defect that's not related to safety? How does that uh enter into the equation of a lemon law claim um non-safety related defects i mean are still covered by the lemon law obviously safety related there's special rules for safety related issues like when i was talking about three or more repairs or 30 more days out of service if you're talking about a safety related issue you only have to give them one chance to fix it but you know what what is a safety related issue right it's a term of, it's a term of art right we can argue about you know, what is a safety related issue? So, you know, I say anytime you, you know, anytime you're dealing with brakes, for example, my, my argument is that that's always a safety related issue, but I, you know, often, often get pushback from manufacturers on that. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether it's a safety issue or not a safety issue. If the law is basically, if it's a defect that affects the use value or safety of the vehicle, um, the, the use part is pretty easy. If you have a car that doesn't go, right, you can't use it, right? So clearly the use of it is, effect, is affected, right? Value, that's an, also a fairly straightforward argument to make is that, let's say I've, I've taken my vehicle to the shop five times, 
to have a bad transmission or something, something like that. Um, all of those repairs are on a Carfax report. So when you go to trade your vehicle or sell it to somebody, if that's what you're going to do, um, the, the dealer who's going to buy it or the person who's going to buy it can pull up a Carfax report and say, hey, why has this vehicle been in the shop five times for transmission? So instead of offering you 30000 for it, I'm going to only offer you twenty five because of the repair history. So that's a fairly easy argument to make on the consumer side that the, the value of the vehicle is affected. Now, so we talked about safety, and that's that's the easiest argument to make generally is that, okay, I have brakes that don't work. That's clearly a safety issue. Or I have a vehicle, you're driving 75 miles down the highway, and it'll, it'll lose power. It'll stall, right? Those kind of things, you know. But the law, it doesn't really just focus on safety. It focuses, the, the, the language in the statute is use, value, or safety of the vehicle. And and just for clarification, when you're dealing with these lemon law claims, these are only for newly purchased vehicles. Is that correct? Newly purchased vehicles. Now, so, most state lemon laws do not cover used vehicles. Georgia's Georgia's lemon law specifically excludes used vehicles. All right, there are other laws that apply in that kind of situation. Uh, there's a federal. People call it a federal lemon law. It's really not technically a lemon law. It's called the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, um, which is a um, the federal law that applies to any consumer product that costs more than $10 and has a warranty. So obviously, clearly applies to vehicles. It applies to televisions and, you know, microwaves and I don't know, any kind of consumer products. But if we have a vehicle that for one reason or another does not check off all the boxes of a lemon law claim, like it's used or it's pat or it's outside the mileage parameters, right? Because I was telling you, Georgia's two years or 24,000 miles. Let's say your problems with your vehicle don't start till 30,000 miles, right? You, you can't have a lemon law claim because you're outside the, the statutory parameters based on mileage. That's when we would make a claim under the federal law. The difference between a state lemon law claim and a federal warranty law claim is the damages, right? Under a lemon law claim, a successful consumer either gets a refund, which is basically all the money they have in the vehicle left the deduction for the mileage, or a replacement vehicle. Um, under a breach of warranty, uh, under the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, the measure of damages is diminished value of the vehicle plus loss of use damages. So it's basically monetary damages as opposed to a refund. What In the industry, we call it a a cash and keep basically where you get a monetary settlement and you keep the vehicle. The consumer then keeps the vehicle and they don't have to keep it. They can sell it. They can trade it in. But, you know, a claim under the federal warranty law does not involve uh, a refund or replacement in, 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 in about 99% of the circumstances. So where in the process do you typically get contacted uh, just on average when, like after the first repair or or when usually not after the first repair it's usually after you know listen we get we get a tons of calls and we represented you know a decent number of folks we sign up a bunch of clients every month and they're all slightly different but it's i think on average you know people will call us when it's been in the shop three four times or or you know if it's been in the shop for a while if somebody's car has been just sitting in the shop for 60 days on the first try you know, we'll hear from people like that. So I mean, it, it's hard to say, you know, when people call us, you know, some people will call us prematurely 
uh, and then we'll educate them and say, hey, you know, once you get to these thresholds, you can call us back and we can we can submit a claim. But most people who call us, you know, all, are already to the stage where they've had multiple repairs or or, you know, excessive periods of time uh, out of service. So if they contact you then and they've done the multiple repairs, like what exactly is covered in that initial consultation? Are you talking at that stage more about the arbitration process or, or what exactly do you cover with them? Well, we'll cover the, definitely cover the process uh, with them. Um, it's mostly just education, kind of walking them through the entire process. You know, a lot of it is information gathering on our part. Obviously, you know, the bulk of the case review is document document review. So it's, it's a lot of chasing folks down and make sure they have all the right documentation to send us. So the initial consultation is, like I said, it's education and it's basically giving them a checklist, a to-do list. You need to get us, you know, these documents, your bill of sale, all your repair tickets, copies of any communication, registration paperwork, you know, any, any kind of documentation related to service or the vehicle itself. Uh, and then we do a full review of all that and then make a determination as to whether we can help uh, help the client or not. All right. And you touched on this earlier, but as far as attorney's fees go, uh, that's just always covered at the end. Essentially, you're in a case determining at the beginning the likelihood that it's going to succeed, I guess. Correct. Yes. We, it's basically a fee shifting uh, provisions under under the Georgia Lemon Law and also under the federal federal law uh, has fee shifting provisions which uh, allow the consumer to recover in addition to whatever the measure of damages is under either the state law or the federal law is to recover the attorney's fee. So I never charge any of my clients any upfront fees. We don't take a percentage like in a personal injury case or something of that nature. The fee is contingent, obviously, on us getting a, a positive result for the consumer. But you know, but what, when we get to that point, then the fees are paid by the manufacturer on the back end. So um, are the fees ever then an impediment to settlement because it's essentially an add-on to the manufacturer in addition to the repair cost? Usually not. I mean, they under, I mean, the manufacturer understands, you know, what their obligation is under the law. You know, they'll certainly try to negotiate the fees. And, you know, you know my position on, on something like that is I, I'm never going to hold up my client's settlement arguing over fees with the manufacturer for the most part. I mean, if so, I, I try to make it where it's not an impediment. You know, our fees are not outrageous. You know, these are not, you know, huge fee cases um, because usually they can be resolved, you know, it, it, it depends obviously on how far we have to go in the process, you know, but even on a pre-lit case, you know, you're talking about, you know, 10, 15 hours of fees potentially. Um, and that's usually not, not a deal breaker for the manufacturers. Yeah. So, um, as far as expenses to the client outside of your fees, um, they, I'm just imagining clients sometimes are like, Hey, I had to go, 
to the dealership four times. Um, I had to find, uh, you know, a, a replacement car during that time. Um, I missed whatever my kids' events, and I had to do Uber. They're, they're just, in addition to just a general annoyance, just some of those types of things, are those just uncompensated for? It's, well, the it, law is fairly the law is fairly strict in its interpretation of like what is, a, you know, incidental and consequential damages on a lemon law case. Obviously, you have the, the the cost of the vehicle, you know, but if there's out of pocket repair costs, out of pocket rental fees, um, things of that nature, those are reimbursable. Those are recoverable under the lemon law, you know, you know. But the kind of your general what I would call pain and suffering type damages. You know, I missed my kid's baseball game and he hit a grand slam and I'll never be able to see that. You know, that's, that stuff happens, but uh, you know, that those kinds of damages are, you know, not part of the lemon law, unfortunately. And I, and I, I have to educate the clients all the time on that. You know, they're like, well, I was aggravated and this and that. And I go, yeah, I appreciate that you were, I know that you were for a fact, but, but there are no pain. There's no pain and suffering in a lemon law case, unfortunately. I wish there was, because because a lot of times, I mean, people are really put out by you know having a, not having a vehicle that works, like we were talking about earlier. I mean, you know, in, in in today's society, I mean, you can't do anything without a vehicle. I mean, unless you live like in New York City or someplace like that, right? It's uh, you, you can't you can't live, right? You can't work, you can't go to the store, you can't do anything. So it it certainly has a very major impact on, 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 on our clients. And uh, I appreciate that. And that's why we try to get these things, you know, moving as, as, as quick as possible. So let's talk about the ones that sort of need to be litigated for, uh, are these lemon law claims exclusively against the manufacturer? Or there are sometimes the dealer has some sort of culpability. Well, under the lemon law, there's only the, the state, the, the, the state law specifically excludes dealers from any kind of liability under the Lemon law. It's basically only, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me. It's only as against the manufacturer because it's, it's basically a hybrid breach of warranty claim. Right. And the, so the manufacturer makes the warranty, right. The manufacturer directs the dealer as to how to fix these vehicles. Right. So all the liability is on the manufacturer side. Now, are there instances where there are like other types of claims potentially against dealers? Yes, you know we generally don't handle dealer claims, but there's certainly issues of fraud that come up all the time, and especially with used cars, um, there's issues of like dealers actually damaging the vehicle while it's on their it's in their possession, right? That's not really technically a lemon law claim. That's potentially a tort claim against the dealer. Um, and we see that a lot. And, um, but as far as lemon law, that is strictly against the manufacturer. All right. So let's talk about things that happen more often. Just talk us through the, uh, process from when you get involved until, uh, when it's ready to try to get it settled pre suit and then how often those do settle. And then if it's not going to settle, and it's going into litigation, how long the litigation process is. Okay. So I just, to kind of, just from the beginning, you know, but I'll just kind of walk you through the whole thing. So consumer calls us, 
we get their information, they send us all their documentation. We review the case. Okay, it looks like a you know straightforward lemon law case. We retain them. Okay, so now we're at the beginning. Uh, the first thing that will go out is written notice to the manufacturer's legal department, putting them on obviously on notice of the representation, putting them on notice of the claim, uh, stating forth you know what the defects are with the vehicle, why we you know basically listing the prerequisites that have been met as far as number of repairs and days out of service. That goes to the manufacturer's legal department and they all have, some manufacturers have in-house legal departments that only handle lemon law. Other manufacturers use outside counsel. Uh, it's kind of, it's different, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm dealing with the same group of folks for General Motors and I'm dealing with the same group of folks for Ford, right? over and over again. So we'll send the demand letter, the, the claim, the notice letter, pardon me. Uh, it's also a demand letter. Um, the manufacturer will then follow up. Hey, we got your claim. It's been assigned to Joe Smith in our legal department. And they usually ask for an extension of time. Cause like I said, we are talking about the 20 day response window. They usually ask for an extension and which I generally give them uh, out of professional courtesy. And then the manufacturer will come back and they'll do one of three things, right? Once they once they've reviewed it on their end, they'll either agree with us that the vehicle qualifies under the lemon law and they will voluntarily offer a buyback. Um, that may happen about 10 percent of the time. OK, that's one of their options. Uh, obviously, another op another response that we hear from the manufacturer all the time is a denial. Like, no, we don't we don't agree with you. We don't think that it qualifies under the lemon law and we're not doing anything that happens all the time. OK. Or they could come back. The third option, the third thing that we generally see out of these manufacturers is they'll do something in between. Right. They say, well, like we don't think it qualifies under the lemon law, but we're not denying the claim outright. But we're offering you, the consumer, X number of dollars in damages for your trouble, downtime, inconvenience, loss of use. Um, for the vehicle where you keep the consumer being keeps the vehicle. And sometimes it makes sense for a consumer to take a cash settlement over a buyback. Uh, I'll give you one example is in the intra, in the instance of what we call negative equity, right? So if I buy a car and I trade in my vehicle to buy this new car, right? But the dealer, when I buy the car, let's say I owe, I owe $25,000 on my vehicle. That I'm trading in, but the dealer only gives me $20,000 for a trade-in. So I'm rolling that $5,000 negative into the loan for the brand new vehicle, right? And so now if that brand new vehicle becomes defective and, you know, it, it qualifies under the lemon law, the refund may be a negative number due to the negative equity that's already built into the vehicle, right? And we see that all the time especially you know unfortunately with like lower income folks they get really pardon my friend screwed over a lot of times but in in these transactions because the interest rates are out exorbitant um they they have a vehicle they have to get rid of to get a new one and the dealer takes advantage uh for lack of a better term and had the you have to roll in a bunch of negative equity into the vehicle so if there's negative equity in the vehicle um that ultimately the negative equity is not the manufacturer's responsibility. They don't have to eat it, right? So there's a formula in the law that, to, that, that 
that sets forth how do you figure out what the refund is, right? You take the purchase price of the vehicle, you add your sales tax, finance charges, uh, you subtract uh, a deduction for the mileage based on the statutory formula, and then you subtract the loan balance on the on the current loan, right? And this, and sometimes when you do that math, it comes out, it comes back with a negative number, which means that the consumer would have to pay the manufacturer that amount of money for the manufacturer to take their vehicle back. And could they utilize gap insurance in that instance if they had it? No, it's not because the lemon law is not an insurable event. You know, it's not like an accident or a you know theft or you know something that's covered. The lemon law is not covered under GAP or really liability or any kind of uh, auto insurance policy. We see, we see that unfortunately all the time. And, you know, and there's really not much we can do about that except, you know, kind of change tack and say, okay, well, we can't do a buyback because it doesn't make financial sense. So we're going to try to negotiate a monetary settlement for you. Uh, you know, try to get them as much money for damages as possible. And that's a, that, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. For some folks, but unfortunately, when you have a when you have a statutory scheme that's you know that's formulaic, it's like a basically the law sets forth the spreadsheet for what numbers you plug in, right, and it spits a number out, right, and that is the refund. And there's really there's no negotiation on the amount of the buyback. It's just math at that point. You're just adding and subtracting. Okay, so the. The ones that have had the denials and you've got to move forward. Uh, okay. how, how, how does that process go? Okay. Well, there's two different, obviously, two different ways to go about it depending on, you know, kind of what's in the best interest of the consumer. One is lemon law arbitration. Uh, so, like I was saying, the Georgia Attorney General's Office of Consumer Protection in Georgia, they have a, they have a lemon law department, basically, which manages and administers all of the, the lemon law claims. And so once you go through the, pre, the prerequisites of sending the proper notices and things of that nature, then, then we file an application uh, with the OCP, Office of Consumer Protection, and generally fairly quickly, they will get an arbitration hearing scheduled um, that's generally done by Zoom nowadays. Um, and you can, get a re, you can get a result generally, it's generally within like, 90 days of filing the uh, filing the actual um, arbitration application. Do they qualify or do they not? If the answer is yes, then the, the only other question is what, you know, what does the formula say is the refund, right? There's no, the arbitrator's not going to award, the arbitrator's never going to say, well, I don't think it meets lemon law, but I think you, Mr. Ford or Mr. General Motors need to pay them $5,000 in damage, right? Arbitration is an all or, you know, it's an all or nothing deal. Right. You either you win or you lose. Um, now, if you lose, then there's certainly, you know, appeals processes, the de novo appeal to superior court, much like a appeal from a magistrate court judgment. Right. But that becomes a full blown superior court lawsuit at that point. And the only drawback for the consumer in that kind of scenario is that the law says that. If a party, if the losing party at arbitration appeals and they lose the appeal, that party must pay the other side's attorney's fees. And that applies to the consumer and the manufacturer. So if I go to arbitration and I win my case for, my, for the consumer, the manufacturer, for whatever 
legal reason, and they're certainly entitled to file an appeal, right? And if they file an appeal and we go through that process, it becomes a it's a bench trial, basically, um, a de novo appeal to Superior Court bench trial. And let's say we win again at that level, then the manufacturer has got to pay all the fees that the consumers incurred in defending the appeal. But it applies the other way, too. If a consumer loses in arbitration and they want to appeal, but we lose the appeal, then the consumer has to pay the manufacturer's fees incurred during the appeals process, which could be pretty substantial. And so that while this is all dragging on, the consumer's just driving their unreliable vehicle, right? Yes, correct. That that That's the part, the most difficult part of this for the consumer is that they're stuck with this hunk of junk that they have, you know, while the process plays out, right? Whether it's through arbitration, obviously if it has to go to an appeal, then you're talking months, you know, additionally, and there's, there's no good answer to that other than, you know, that they have to kind of deal with it one way or another. You know, most folks are not in a position to park a car and buy another one and then make two payments, you know, one for a car that you have to drive and one for a car that's just sitting there while you're fighting over it. It's, it's pretty unfortunate position for, you know, a lot of consumers, but. I'd imagine for settlement though, from a leverage point of view, the consumers got, you know, much more of a pain in the butt to deal with and more incentive to settle than the big old manufacturer who's not stuck with this car and has got all the money. That's correct. And I have this conversation with, with my clients all the time because time doesn't mean anything to general motors or nissan or toyota or whoever you know i don't mean to single anybody out but time doesn't mean anything to any of these manufacturers right they're not going anywhere right time though matters to a person who can't get to work because their car doesn't work right or they can't whatever take their kids on vacation whatever the case may be so there is it's a little devious, I guess, but the, the incentive from the manufacturer side is to drag it out because at some point the consumer is just going to say, well, I, I, I have to do something, right? I can't wait another six months, right? So I'll take a cash offer, you know, from the manufacturer. I'll take my car. I'll go trade it. I'll use that money as a down payment to get into something else. And that, you know, listen, you're talking about, you know, Joe Average fighting against a multi-billion dollar international conglomerate. Right. It's not a fair it's really not a terribly fair fight on the front end. Um, But we we try to level the playing field as much as we can, you know, kind of given the constraints that are there. I've dealt with this in my personal injury cases. You know, the closer you are to trial, the better your uh, chances are getting a better settlement. Uh, Time is never really on their side. Uh, so before I let you go, I do want to know sure. how many of these kind of cases do you handle a year? We generally handle about, I don't know, 12 to 1500 cases a year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, we have a pretty, you know, it is a volume practice and, um, you know, they're, and I, we're one of the bigger in the lemon law firms, but there, there's, there are other firms out there that'll probably handle three, 4,000 cases a year. Um, guys, and there's some guys of the Northeast and out West, uh, who, uh, who do crazy, crazy volume, uh, 
it's almost I, just from a practice management standpoint. I don't know, you know, managing, you know, 1500 cases a year is a pretty big job. I can't, you know, to try to manage three or 4,000 is I would pull uh, the rest of my hair would fall out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank our guest, Alex Simonowski of Alex Simonowski and associates for joining us in this podcast. And to thank you for listening. You can find Alex at autolemonlaws.com. That's autolemonlaws with an S at the end.com or filelemonlaw.com. That's filelemonlaw.com. You can visit me online at brickslaw.com. That's B-R-I-C-K-S-L-A-W.com. You can also rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. All of our contact information can be found in the link below. For more details, please email me personally at peter at brickslaw.com.